Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. I'm here with my wonderful co-host, as always, Matt Offenbacher. Matt, how are you doing this morning, buddy? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Justin? I am doing well, doing well. Just, you know, watching oil price kind of do a little pivot, fake, not knowing what it wants to do. You know, interesting times. I was at a networking event yesterday. A lot of folks talking about the direction of rig count and we were screaming there and we we're growing at a clip over 2022 and then beginning of this year. And now we're kind of at the fork in the road, I feel like, but uh, I'm optimistic. What do you think? I think so. I mean, optimistic, but I think my area of concern is we have this narrative of course, you know, oil's going away, we don't need it, blah, blah, blah. And then we have horrendous underinvestment and like the price doesn't reflect that right now. And so I asked one of my friends the other day, like, is this kind of a bug on a windshield kind of thing where it's just going to be like smack and we're going to find ourselves in oil running up over $100 a barrel because nobody's paying attention? And I don't think that's good for anybody, but I worry... You know, we want stability, but we also want a reasonable price that we can plan our business around. Yeah. And it's just a bit, I don't know if trying is the right word, but there's a fair amount of frustration just with the parts that don't make sense. And as our friend Josh says, you know, my crystal ball is broken. <laughs> I, I'm generally optimistic, but I'm concerned that if fundamentals don't match reality, we'll find ourselves in this place where there's this big distortion the other way. Yeah, that sort of to be a common theme right now is the fundamentals. When we say that, referring to just overall supply and demand, basically. But looking at the fundamentals relative to the price, I mean, we saw a huge drawdown this week in in storage on the oil side, which didn't seem to make, you know, OPEC does their production cuts, little head fake there, but then nothing real dramatic. The whole China demand outlook seems to be wishy-washy now We're at, for, for a while. It's like, when China opens up, things are going to the moon, and, and we haven't quite seen that. And so there's a lot of sort of mixed signaling happening. And at the end of the day, I'm not an economist. I just try and read as much. They have an idea of what's going on. But nonetheless, I think in the near term, you know, maybe kind of questionable, but like I think in the long term, especially going into, in, you know, looking at a lot of the earnings reports that have come out, most people are very optimistic going towards the end of the year and then into next. So for all the folks out there that may be wondering what's happening, our take is that hold your breath for a little bit here. Um, it's, you know, the bottom's not falling out, but I think uh, there's going to be a quite a ramp up here as we move forward into 2024. At least that's my take. Again, not investment advice, strictly, right. you know, the crystal ball woo-woo stuff happening. And it's just good conversation at the very least. But we're not here to talk about economics and finance and all that fun stuff, Matt. We're here to talk a little bit about particle size distribution, also known as PSD, and how that relates to products and how we select them, especially when it comes to LCM. That's a very common topic of discussion when you're losing returns and you've got a customer or an engineer or even a company representative on site. It's like, we need something that's going to plug this off. And it's like, okay, well, we need to talk about where we lose. And is it some micro fractures or is it a big fracture? And what kind of, ultimately, what size LCM do we need to pump? Because if you're not pumping the right size, you may not 
solve the problem in the most efficient way, I guess. Is you could keep losing. Of- you may keep losing if you don't pump the right stuff, okay? I'm trying to sound technical, yeah. but I'm just going to keep it real. It's just like if you're pumping the wrong stuff, you're not going to solve the losses, right? So anyway, Matt, let's talk a little bit about particle size distribution. We've done in the past, but I think it'd be good to revisit, especially when it comes to uh, identifying which products to use in certain situations. I like it. I mean, this is how we sort of characterize the different sizes of materials that we're going to use to attempt to treat those losses. And so it sort of helps not only tell us what's in the bag, but verify what's in the bag. And from there, we can have a conversation of how we're going to cure these losses and argue with the directional company, as we always say, about what can go (laughs) through their tools and kind of get the big picture if we're going to pump particulate material. Right. It sounds obvious, but you'd be surprised on how long you're sort of active in a drilling campaign and you're using XYZ products to pre-treat. You know, at 3,000 feet, we're going to pre-treat with eight pounds of X product. And that just seems to work. But then when you do a little investigating and perhaps the operator does a little bit of rock characterization or you have some better data on the formations, like, wait, we were pumping something that was way too coarse. And in fact, if we pump something a little finer, we could probably pump a lot less and it'd be a lot more effective. So Sometimes you're limited on the data that you have, but the more information you have, you can actually fine tune that and pump something to spec, if you will. So Matt, how would you talk about, you know, when we say particles, how would you define particles? Well, one, a lot of products have a blend of particles, so it may not just be one type of particle. Mm -hmm. So depending on the product, it may be blended up for you to target a specific formation or type of loss zone, like a fracture versus a permeable zone. But particles are sort of broken down between flakes, fibers, and granules. So flake material could be like mica. You can actually get a flake calcium carbonate. Paper technically would be a flake material. So stuff you might use on surface, but you get the idea. Fibers are exactly like they sound. So cedar fiber is more than just a clever name. It's shredded cedar. And it looks like long fibrous materials. But then you've also got your granular materials like nutshells, graphite, most calcium carbonates, they're all broken down sort of by their aspect ratio. So an isometric particle is arguably spherical. So the ratio of its length versus width is one to one. Anything beyond that becomes an isometric where you have a long side and a skinny side. So your fibrous materials have a long side and a skinny side. A lot of your flake materials have a long side and a skinny side. Granular are going to be isometric. So they're a little easier to measure and model. But that's something to just sort of know when we talk about how you size them and how you measure them is you're going to measure them differently because of their properties. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, obviously, we've got the sizing part of this. Talk a little bit about that. So our typical nomenclature is in microns or micrometers. And a lot of times what we do is we talk about it in percentile. So a lot of products, if there's just a number as far as their size goes by the D50, So let's say it's a D50 of 20 microns. What that means is 50% of the particles are 20 microns or less in that bag. But a lot of times we'll try and give you a better idea of the whole distribution. So you might have a D10, which is 10% of the particles are that size or smaller. A D90, 90% of those particles are that size or smaller. And the D99 is another one that's sort of an attempt to capture what is the biggest particle I might come across in that bag. Understanding that D100, you might have an outlier. So D99 is supposed to try and give you a better idea of like, hey, the absolute biggest thing in here is this. And therefore, you know, you need to take that into consideration. 
we start with the D50 in most of our conversations, but understand that it's a distribution. It's not that you could get something where the products were all the exact same diameter. You would just pay a very large sum of money to do that. So <laughs> that's usually the starting point on sizing. And our sizing, if you will, is you know how we measure it. And this is where stuff gets kind of complicated. And so the API has a set of guidelines. It's called 13TR3 that has some recommendations along with you know some supporting data on why you should measure certain products certain ways. Mm. So I think a lot of people know about a laser particle analyzer. We've talked about it in the past. That's where you know you circulate product across a laser, shoots light, the light is diffracted, and these detectors pick it up, and then you give you this nice curve. You know, we use this all the time for checking our MUDs, all kinds of other things, usually liquid. And then the other measurement that's commonly used is through a sieve, which is a set of screens. And you pick your number of screens and you basically dump the material on top and it retains it at different sizes. And you take the weight and you get a weight differential between different sizes of screens. And you can do that wet, you can do that dry, you can blow air across. The idea is to try and get that material to pass through the screen if it's the right size to do so. And then you can also do this with like a microscope and a computer optically. That's not as common, but it's sort of an approved method. Our most common techniques are going to be laser and sieve. So is that the laser light scattering? Yeah. So that's the laser particle size analyzer that a lot of labs have. And most of the guidelines would say, you know, your isometric products, are your granulars, your nut plugs, your graphites, this is mm. the best one. And the reason is that light scattering, it's going to hit the light. And if it's longer on one side and the light hits it in the right way, it's going to appear bigger than it really is. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, if I turn one way, I look skinny. If I turn another way, I look fat. It's kind of, you <laughs> okay. know, if, if you will. That's um, yeah, great analogy. I mean, I probably look fat in both directions, to be quite frank. But <laughs> um, <laughs> the degree of fatness changes. Yes, less <laughs> obese. Um, so the thing is that you would say, they say the D50 of less than 500 microns. And that's what the API working group says. And that's fine. My observation was if you had a D50 closer to 100 microns or more, you started to get some distortion relative to a sieve. Their data suggests otherwise. I was just kind of going off my experience in the past. The great thing about laser is you basically just mix it up, dump it in a hopper and click run and you get a reading. Granted, there's some other calibration stuff you got to keep an eye on, but it's pretty freaking easy to do. Sieves are a lot more annoying. And the main reason is if you're going to use a large number of screens, we have a very nice sieve in our lab. It's not quiet when you're running this thing because it shakes the screens to try and get the stuff to pass through, right? Right. So the annoying thing with the sieves are you stack them all up, you pass all the stuff through, you got to weigh all the screens before, then you got to weigh them after you've applied the material and where it's separated out and subtract the weight of the screens. You got to keep track of all the screens, which the worst thing in the world is to get them mixed up. It makes a bunch of racket while it's shaking, as I mentioned. But the idea here is that if you have one of those oblong particles, yes, some of them, if you're shaking it enough, will tip vertically and fall through. Like think of a fiber, think of it like a toothpick. When it's upright, it can fall through the screen on its shortest side. But generally, it tends to retain longer those more oblong particles. So it gives you a more accurate reading. So that's at least the argument. And then anything with a D50 over 500 microns, which 500 microns is big. So even if it's granular or supposed to be granular, it's probably not a perfect sphere by that size. It's chunky. That's when you'd use the sieve. 
But those are the two ways to measure it. And we try and label when we run our, we do label in our reports, the equipment we use just to make very clear which method we were using. If anybody has any questions. Yeah. And for the mud engineers out there, just for reference, unless you've dove into this, when Matt says 500 microns, you might be trying to make a reference to that as like, like, what is that? Like an inch thick or whatever. But if you've ever pumped an, a fine nut plug, that could be around 500 microns on the D50. Matt, is that, again, generally speaking-ish, like, does that give some sort of reference? Yeah. I mean, a 500 microns is like, think about it is when you, it's still pretty good size. And so there's no definition for fine, medium, or coarse. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But yeah. 500 microns is like half a millimeter, right? Like you can see it. Yeah, It's not tiny. I think you get a relative size when you go like, look at this stuff. But a lot of product bulletins should have the D50 at least, if not the D10 and D90. You should have a pretty good idea when you look at it and say, okay, two and two together. I see that. Your fine calcium carbonate might be 10 microns. Yeah. If you think about it, right? So 50 times bigger than that. Sure. That nut plug. Yeah. And I was going to mention that too, you know, for the mud engineers out there who've used our CalCarb mix on our product data sheet, it shows a D50 of 15. So to give you an idea, and then, you know, something like Interlock, you know, has a D50 of 300. So it gives an idea of when we talk 500 and maybe Matt had said like 10 or so 15, that gives you sort of some good idea. Cause a lot of times, like in the field, we don't typically use those numbers, we'll say fine, medium, coarse, and then, well, how much it'll pass through a API 200? And it's like, oh, I don't know, this looks like it could. But if you actually approach it, I guess, from an engineering perspective, you can look at the numbers and sort of fine tune your product selection. And it can help a lot. And so that way you don't have a rig hand standing at the shaker spraying. And if you're adding LCM, hopefully you're not getting a ton back. But if you yeah. do, you can either select proper screens based off the micron size or vice versa, again, depending on the application. It's circumstantial, yes. clearly. But again, I just wanted to make note of that because I know when I was in the field, if someone started throwing microns at me, I'd be like, I don't know what, like, is that a medium? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so right. It helps to get specific, you know, for our folks, you know, we do have posters where we try and show all that product bulletins listed. Yeah. So that should help you get a little bit of reference. But sometimes yeah. someone will bring up like, what is your 50 micron product or whatever? I know what the fracture sizes down hole, or I think I do. And so I'd like to start there. Right. That's one thing I love about how we've sort of evolved our mud programs is we have like a lot of good information on that specific type stuff. And again, when I was in the field, the mud program didn't have anything like that. It had a suggested LCM regimen, but it didn't break down the particle size. It wasn't asked on a regular basis. But again, if you want to just be a little bit more dialed in. This is type of the stuff that you can bring in a meeting or if the company representative is wanting to pump something, these are good questions to ask or information that you can relay in hopes to make better decisions. So anyway, kind of steering back to more, not necessarily the operational side, but when we're talking about particle size distribution and we're running these in the lab, what are the results, Matt? Like, let's talk about like when you get results at that point, when it comes to interpretation and things like that, like it can be a little bit gray at times for folks. Yeah. And I think this is where if we can have the right conversations with the right people, I can say, okay, look, I get this distribution curve. It gives me my D10, D50, D90, what have you. But now if we can talk about how that relates to the formation and you say, look, it's a sand that we're losing at and it's got a poor size of this. You say, aha, well, I can actually model what particles will pack that off. There are 
the ideal packing theory or the one-thirds bridging rule, or if you want to make it exceedingly complicated, use the Vickers method or whatever. But like <laughs> at the end of the day, we've run through a few of those in a very boring podcast in the past. And the whole idea is like, yeah, you can actually fit these products and they appear to seal it. And you can even validate that in the lab if you know what you're trying to seal. So a lot of times we don't know and we go for like broader stuff. But if we want to target it, we can do that all day long with the right information. So I can actually model this on a computer, make a recommendation based off that information. We could validate it with some lab testing. And assuming whatever's down hole, which is sometimes difficult to verify, if those sizes are true, we can address it. If we keep losing, we might be able to say, okay, it's probably bigger than that. Let's mm. size up. But we have a starting point other than, hey, I pumped product X and we never have losses. So we should always use that. There's a feedback element from the field where you say, okay, but I've also seen people swear by that and then run out of product and not use it and not have losses. And it's like, well, how much money have you spent over the years? Because one time you had losses and this cured it, and then you used it all the time, but you never actually needed it. <laughs> right. You know? There's times to pump background material and mitigate. Like, I don't want to get lost on that, but I've also seen people just blindly swear by things for that comfort factor. And really what they've done is spend a lot of money when it was like, maybe those the cause of those losses was something else. Like, let's get to the bottom of that. Again, you bring up a good point. And this is stuff that in the field is discussed, but certainly when you planning, the more information that you have, you can just ultimately make better decisions and not just do things because it's always been done. There's always sort of a better approach, if you will, depending on the access of information that you do have and the data that you have. Matt, anything else? Again, this is somewhat technical, but at the end of the day, every product that goes out to location has certain specs. And if you understand those specs, you can relay that good information to directional, you know, especially when you're pumping LCM, it's just like, you know, what can you pump through the tools? And again, that's, you know, a lot of times another discussion for another day, but the more information you have, the better decisions you can make. I know I've said it once and twice and three times, but that's the truth about it. Anything else before we uh, close out? I think we pretty much covered it. Hopefully that gives a pretty reasonable picture of, you know, especially characterizing LCM. I think we have this addiction to fun and exciting trade names. And, you know, look, we're just as happy to come up with a cool name for a product. But ultimately, there is a lot of technical work you can do behind these things. It's not just making up a bag and throwing it in a hopper. And there's good foundation here if you understand the tar particle size distributions and what you're targeting. So. Yeah. And not to be mistaken for someone sends in a sample of oil-based mud and say, hey, can you run a PSD? That's similar testing, but again, different interpretations and stuff. So if folks are wondering like, well, you didn't talk about if, you know, dirty mud or clean mud with PSDs, you know, I think we've talked about it, but perhaps we can revisit that again soon. Another topic, but yes, it is a similar test, right, Matt? Yeah. So, I mean, it's the laser particle analyzer. So we talked about the test itself, I guess, the interpretation, that would be another great idea for an episode. We have discussed it, but like another great one to revisit would be, what does that tell me about my likely mud quality? You know? Yeah. You know, we could have wrapped it into that, but there's a lot of other considerations when you're running PSDs for MUDs. So again, Matt, maybe we can chat about that and come up with a good episode. But with that said, if anyone has any thoughts or questions or uh, would love to chime in, please reach out to us on LinkedIn, or you can reach us at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. Please share this episode with someone who might find it valuable. If you've got a MUD engineer out there who's perhaps has brought this up, we're constantly trying to educate and inform the community as best we can. If you have any ideas for a show, ask, please, some great 
episodes lately have come from questions from listeners. And again, everyone, we really appreciate it. Until next time, take care. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.